Welcome to the Susan Harmon Experience. Uh, This is Susan, and uh, I am having a great day. Well, uh, we're going to hear from Cheryl Hopkins, our resident astrologer. But just before Cheryl starts off with the astrology, I want you to stay tuned because Ben Dinwiddie, an amazing man, did a wagon train with his kids, four children, a wife, uh, three or four wagons, horses, goats, all kinds of stuff. And <laughs> this sounds like a great about- story. Yeah, it's a great story. What do you think, Eric? You going to listen to this one? I'm going to listen. Hey, I listen to all of them. But <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I may be, I might be more on pins and needles on this one. But this one is totally different. How many people you know think in this day and age that they want to travel 10 miles an hour, 10 miles a day? Not too many. I mean, I'm looking, yeah. can I make it, you know, 1,500 miles? <laughs> this sounds like the opposite of glamping. So yeah, <laughs> it'll be interesting to hear. Stay tuned. Today is the day that our resident astrologer, Cheryl Hopkins, shares her knowledge about astrology. Uh, I am so delighted to have her on this show every month, once a a day. She does it uh, the last Friday of the month for the following month. So give a listen. Find out what Cheryl has to say about what we can expect for October. Hey there, Cheryl Hopkins here on the Susan Harmon Experience to share a little bit about the astrology for October. You may recall me speaking about from May to October that we would have anywhere from oh five to six planets retrograde. That has definitely been the case. This is the last month where we will have five planets retrograde. So starting out the month, we have Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and Mars currently retrograde. In the middle of the month, roughly about the 14th, Mercury will go retrograde in the sign of Scorpio. So if you have your sun, your rising sign, or moon, or planets in Scorpio, or Taurus, you will certainly potentially feel the effects of Mercury retrograde. Now, there, of course, is always a lot out there about what it means. It is not a big deal. It just means stay on top of your communication, stay on top of details around any kind of travel, any kind of agreements, or arrangements, because there's the potential that there can be misunderstandings, miscommunications, or obstacles or delays in terms of timing. What it offers you in the period that it will be retrograde, which is really through the very first few days of November, is a chance to kind of go within and take another look at things, to reevaluate, to redo, reconsider. This is an excellent time for completing things that had not been done before. So if you had started any kind of project around communication or writing, uh, editing, excellent time to take care of that. If there has been something that you needed to arrange but didn't know which way to go, this is a great time to just go back and revisit that. Okay, so that's Mercury. 
Mars is really the big topic again for the month. Mars went retrograde last month in September, about the second week, and he will be retrograde through the 14th of November. So this month, Mars represents the desire nature, the interest in attaining what it is that you want through self-assertion. What is it that you're willing to assert yourself for? What do you desire to create? Do you desire it enough in order to uh, compete with another person or another situation? To fight for it, fighting physically, literally or metaphorically speaking, um, are some of the aspects, the basic understandings of how Mars functions. So when we talk about attaining something in desire, it is wise to have a strategy involved and to know when to take action. With Mars retrograde, what I've just described can happen in a slower fashion. There can seem to be obstacles or delays in making that happen. In this time frame, generally speaking, you want to kind of go back over stuff that you may have started and not finished. You may have lost interest before. Take another look at it. Maybe a situation that is uh, ongoing and is not moving to the next level needs to be addressed. Perhaps there's a situation where you didn't start something that you felt you should have. Is this the time to, to maybe do it? Uh, again, with retrograde, we're looking backward and we're completing or we're reconfiguring in some way. So re-strategizing is an excellent thing to be doing at this time. Now, Mars as a principle of action and forward motion is forming some stressful aspects again to planets that he formed uh, stressful interactions with in August. So it could very well be as I go through this that if there were issues in August they could come back up again or now is the time maybe to bring resolution to what those were. So from the 1st of October through the 4th Mars is stressed in a stressful relationship with Saturn. Um, the feeling of pushing against a brick wall, of trying to move an immovable object, trying to get around something that is a brick wall of reality. These are some of the themes that uh, could be in play in this time frame. It could very well be making another push at creating a give in whatever the obstacle is. Could be a way to think about it. The other aspect is to um, see how you approach all of that in August and maybe come up with another pl a plan of attack, metaphorically speaking. The 8th to the 14th, Mars square to uh, Pluto. So in this time frame, uh, internal turmoil could very well be at in play. Uh, issues or unresolved issues or um, ongoing issues that plague uh, some kind of uh, stressful pattern could emerge or for clearing when these things come up that are painful, that are difficult for clearing, one of the things that Mars also represents is uh, in the lower vibration, anxiety, lots of activity, lots of, you know, just having to, to manage and do things. So Mars in square to Pluto, um, what is motivating all of that activity? What is motivating that anxiety? Is something going on on outside? Well, of course there is for most people, right? There's a ton of stress when you just look out your window or listen to media. And it could be triggering your own patterns, your own shadow material. So 
um, keep in mind that um, what sets you off may um, be coming up for you to heal or could be a reflection of what you're seeing outside. And so this is a time to kind of step back and reevaluate. On the 15th to the 24th, Mars squares to Jupiter. So again, stressful configuration around Jupiter. So it could be very well be that actions could take on an outsized proportion. They could be larger than life, over the top. It could be, I'm willing to die for what I believe. I'm willing to die for my principle. Um, and then there's also the question, are you really hearing that? Is that really the case? Is this a reflection of something from the past that has relevance in this moment or not? All of these are questions that could be helpful to be reevaluating because in general, the Saturn-Pluto-Jupiter aspect that we have been under since 2019, okay, in the house, in effect, to winter solstice of this year, is telling us well, this is a year of a rite of passage. This is a year where we need to take a leap of faith in terms of moving into a brave new world. Because as you can see, what's going on in the outer world, in our politics, in our country, with the election coming up globally, climate-wise, all of these things seem to be coming apart. And yes, it's scary and it's frightening, but it means that we need to create uh, something new. All you can do is make that attempt in your individual world, in your individual life. Last but not least, the karmic points called the nodes of the moon, which uh, is the intersection of the moon's orbit with the Earth's equator in the northern hemisphere as the north node, in the southern hemisphere as the south node, had moved into the communication signs of Gemini and Sagittarius, oh, back a few months ago. And so they will be in place for some time, the next uh couple of years into 2022, I believe. And so this is a time where communications can create karma. Um, this is a time to rethink um, belief systems or adherence to um, intense uh, beliefs that keep creating ongoing issues or patterns or of difficulty. And to begin to look at what it is, I believe, in a with a skeptical eye to get a better sense of, hmm, is this really fitting who I am? Is this helping me to um, be live a more balanced life, to have better relationships, uh, to not necessarily go in lockstep because this is how I've always thought, but to examine it. It's a really important time for all of us to be examining what we think and what we believe and be willing to challenge it in order to get at what's truth, what's real. Um, this nodal configuration is receiving some stress from the current placement of Neptune, which is in Pisces. And this is a very important configuration affecting the Neptune and Mars stressful aspect in the United States natal chart, which is being shown in the conflict, the division, the willing to die for what I believe, and the embrace of conspiracy. So looking at what's outside to see what it is I want to be doing for me to bring myself up and to shed more light, more love, more balance in my world. Wishing you all the best and happy October. 
Ben Dinwiddie is our guest today, and we are so pleased to have Ben on the Susan Harmon Experience. Ben is just a very interesting man. He's a prospector. He's just a, he's done all kinds of things. But one of the most interesting things that Ben has done was a covered wagon trek. Uh, he went from Wisconsin to California in wagons. Um, it was an amazing trip, and I'm totally fascinated by it. I was fortunate enough to visit with Ben and look at photographs of the of the wagon train trip. That was amazing. It was a lot of fun. Uh, hi, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. And one correction, my lady. Yes. I made it to New Mexico, and I had to stop. Oh, you made it to New Mexico and and threw in the towel, so to speak. <laughs> no, uh, there was a problem there with some property I owned and uh, had the U.S. Marshals involved and so forth and so forth. And it got kind of sticky and it, it wiped out the rest of our revenue to continue the trip. Well, those things... Uh I guess happen on wagon train trips, but they, you know, that wasn't wasn't the plan. But it was still a good trip. How long did the trip take? Seven months. Seven months. So, what I'm curious to know is what gave you the idea. I mean, not everybody thinks of well, I'd like to get a covered wagon and some horses and take my children and family uh, halfway across the country from the Midwest out to the West and and travel what 10 12 miles a day uh, what did what inspired you what gave you the idea to do this my grandmother G she's my mother's mother uh, I spent a lot of time with her and she was raised in you know uh, a period of time when they traveled with horse and wagons she used to tell me stories about traveling to town take a month to go to town sometimes to all the way over to El Paso area and I had the desire and, and love. I'd had, I wanted it for a long time. And then uh, I got messed up medically. I wasn't sure what was wrong, and I felt I was dying. So I wanted to do the, something that I had always wanted to do. So I talked the family into it, and we took off. So it was basically a bucket list item. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I want to do this uh, before I pass on because it, it is interesting. And, and you got inspired by your grandmother telling you about traveling in a in a covered wagon. That's uh, that fascinating. So, so how did you start? Okay, I want to I want to go on a wagon uh, train trip. How? What did you do to prepare for for being uh, gone all this time, seven months? Well, I'm a millwright welder as well as everything else I've been involved in. And I decided the thing to do would be to build me some wagons that would be good for the highway. Okay. So I built, I built uh, two wagons in my living room floor in northern Wisconsin in the winter. Come spring, mm -hmm. we took them outside and assembled them and got ready to go. Boy, I don't know. If I were your wife, I think I'd be a little upset about having all that stuff in my living room. <laughs> well, I had a, I had a good wife. Oh, okay. She was very patient. Yeah. So that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, so you built them in the living room, and then you moved them outside to assemble. That that alone right. was time consuming. Well, yeah, but I had uh, four good kids, uh, three boys and a girl that was there with us, and uh, they all helped and was really involved in it. It was a whole family uh, operation. Cool. How old were your kids at that time? 
Hey, let's see. The youngest was still preteen. The oldest was up about uh, 17, 18. Okay. So it was, it was, they, were, they were fully sufficient, you know, uh, walk and talk and all that, and, uh, and useful. You know, they yeah, did a, they did a, a, a lot of things to help. I mean, I'm sure you had some difficulties along the road, and, and I'm just, what, uh, you know, what did you do when you were confronted with, uh, with difficulties? Well, before we ever got on the road, you need to understand that my kids are not ordinary kids. Uh, okay. We homeschooled them. We homeschooled them. And uh, we worked the woods in the winter, and we worked the farm in the summer with horses. And we worked exclusively with horses. So we already had okay. the horses, and they were draft horses, which was ideal for the, for the trip. So they were used to working with the horses all the time, and that, that made a big difference. Um, yeah. What what was like the first difficulty that you ran into? First difficulty, believe it or not, was my covered wagon turned out to be a wind tunnel. A wind tunnel? How how so? What what made it a wind, wind tunnel? The wind will whistle right down through it like a, a like a tornado, and and just I mean it just like the froze us to death at first. So we uh-huh. you know, put put a canvas uh, hung canvas front and back, and we stopped it, and it was it was much much nicer. That happened the first day out, and and it was snowing at that point in time, wasn't it? Or, or, or it was capable of snowing during that time period. Well, we had snow for about the first week, off and on as we traveled. Wow! So, and what did you do to keep warm? Bundle up and go because we we've been working up there in, in in the north all winter long, and we had the heavy clothing, so we were we were set that way. Okay. What, uh, what do you think was the most important way, the sim- simplest way that you guys decided to, to stay warm? Layered clothing where you didn't sweat, where you could take off or add on and uh, not sweat. When you get sweat in cold country, you freeze to death. Sweating will make you freeze. Sweating. That's interesting because people, you, get, uh, get, you know, de- uh, um, um, think that yeah, that you want to stay as warm as possible, and that's that's not how it goes most of the time. You well, know, we, you, we, interesting, we, interesting. We worked, Sweat we worked, will we do it. Woods. Yeah, we worked um, in the woods in, in in the winter, and we learned right off that uh, most important thing was if you keep your sweating down, you know, your clothes don't get cold, and then you get clammy because that that cold that ice just makes a sheet of ice on inside of you, inside your clothes. So you want to you don't want you want to avoid sweating if you can. Well, that's good to know. Well, well okay, that's the first thing that uh, that you needed to to look at. It was the tent being a, a wind tunnel and then staying warm. And uh, what were some of the other difficulties that you you ran into that you, for one thing, you probably weren't weren't expecting them them to be difficult. Well, uh, I made arrangements for a farrier, a horseshoer, to meet me about three days out. To uh, shoe my, my trim and shoe my horses, and mm-hmm. uh, he came and and we had it done, and then I spent the next week resetting and, and doing the shoes over again. He didn't do the job that did uh, last, and I ended up having to do my own. And that was a major you, problem, you know, at first. Yes. Yeah, you expected a professional would do better than you, and you did better than him. Well, I found out I was as professional as they get on on, on my horses, anyway. Uh, believe it or not, my horses walked the entire trip from uh, 
northern Wisconsin, right up on Lake Superior, out by uh, Madeline Island, all the way mm-hmm. down to Las Cruces, and then turn north of New Mexico up the Rio Grande Valley to the property I owned up there. And they wore the same shoes the whole way. Wow. Now, what you I, know, what I did, you talk about, go ahead. What I did was I, I would fold the shoes, retrim the feet, level them up, and I would resurface the shoes with uh, hard surface and bore them and uh, carbide crystals and uh, build the shoes up. And I had to if they got worn a little bit of one side or something and screw them up. And then I did that. And luckily, we found along the way people that allowed me to use their shops and garages that they had wherewithal to do this. And I was able to take care of them all the way. Wow. You know, you and I talked a little bit before, and your love for horses is very profound. Um you know, it's it's obvious in that taking care of the horses was a very important part of the trip. It, well, it turned out to be a, a, a real chore. Uh, a lot of people have never heard of our, our biggest problem, and that was uh, an ailment on the horses that you get with draft horses where they wear a collar. On the mm-hmm. side of their neck, they get a sore. And okay. And we stopped at, uh, we, the sore started forming up. And what it was is the horses weren't using, or used to, walking the long distances, you know, uh, 8, 10, 12, 15 miles a day. And uh, on the farm, they didn't end up doing that. And that was one of our first things. And we went to probably half a dozen or better veterinarians along the way, and none of them knew what the problem was. They never never could answer it. And finally, I got to a little town in, uh, in Iowa, I think it was, and there was a man there... Uh, where I stopped, and he knew a old, old vet, and and and, and that's name was Dugan, Doc Dugan. He went and got Doc, Doc Dugan. Dugan. Doc Dugan. You know, he came out and looked at my my horses, and he said, "What you got is stick tight. I've carved on stick many a one. I've sat on their is back." Is that what you said, Ben? Stick tight. Stick tight is okay. the name that he used for them. What it amounts to is much like a festival or. Uh, on, on the withers or a pole evil on the back of the head when a horse bumps their head. It gets mm-hmm. a little sore and then, the, then it gets irritated. And uh, so there were two vets in the town. We contacted them and neither one of them would come out and look at them and do what Doc Dugan told them, you know, to show them to do. They wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the man I was staying, where we were staying at his place, had stopped and had camped out and he... Uh, that I know of that down south, so he, he got a hold of this uh, man, a doctor by the name of Severide. And Severide came up, and I assisted him, and we had three horses with a problem. And he helped me, you know, do, show me everything to do, and, and I assisted him. And when we got done, and I think I showed you a picture of, of one of the uh, stick tights that he removed. Mm-hmm. And we got oh, done, yeah, those are nasty-looking things. Yeah, they are. Uh, it'll kill a horse. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he said, now you've seen how to do it. You do it yourself. And he said, stop by my place on your way south, and uh, I'll give you everything to take care of it. And he did. He gave me uh, stuff to uh, kill the pain in the area of local anesthetic. He gave me everything I needed to do it from there on for myself. And they probably and didn't see that out. much because they didn't have these animals on the farm pulling wagons like you did on the road. Those are two different uh, experiences. Well, the one thing I really learned out of the, the whole trip was why my grandparents and my great-grandparents 
used to say, you buy a horse for one reason, you don't buy them for another. And I got to watching this, and what they were telling me really worked. Yeah, I can see that. It, I I can see that it did really work uh, from what you you know what you were saying, and and uh, so how much time, Dave? We always talk about horsepower. This car has you know it can go sixty miles per hour, and it's got one hundred and forty miles of, you know horsepower. What? How much time did it take you when you got up in the morning? You fixed your food. You did all the stuff you had to do. I broke camp and to get on the road. How long? How how far did you go? Like per day? What did you average? Well, starting out, people always talk about. You see these uh, people on on TV traveling and they uh, with, with horses like that, and they're, they're covering like like cover twenty thirty miles a day. And we uh-huh. tried that, and it was too hard on the horses. Really too hard on them. And we slowed down to where we were running, you know, eight to twelve, somewhere around, average around ten miles a day. And uh, we got to pay attention to the country. And going across the plains area of the central United States, you'll find a little town just about every 10 miles. That's and interesting. I figure that's probably due to the fact that, you know, that was a, a, a day's travel with a horse and wagon. Mm-hmm. Where the horse didn't, wasn't overworked and, and, and injured. Very interesting. Yeah, I would never have thought of that. Oh, that's how far a horse can go. I mean, I know there's other things that we measure by, you know, a horse and, and uh, you know, pulling a chariot, the width of a railroad, uh, tr- you know, the railroad ties for the train tracks to run, for the train to travel on is the width of a horse and a chariot. I mean, we measure so much by a horse, but I never thought that, w- that the distance from one town to the n- another was measured by how far a horse traveled. That's fascinating. Well, you have to think about the people of the time, you know, and you, you, your horse is, is very vital. Without him, you're, you're, you're stranded. You just can't go no further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've got to have time to, uh, in the evening, for them to, mine would, would, would pick them out and let them graze, and then we grained them. We bought grain along the way. But uh, they would they roll and just relax. After mm-hmm. walking all day, you know, with cars going by and everything else, and we we found that ten out ten miles just worked out just beautifully, and uh, most of the towns were just about that distance. So when you got to a place where you could camp, probably just outside of town, uh, how did you how did you set up camp? Well, uh, just haphazardly. Usually, we was on the side of a road. We'd pull mm-hmm. over. If there was a house there or somebody's home, or we'd go up and ask them if they mind if we, we camped right close by. And okay. almost always, almost always, they would say, yes, you're welcome. You're, you know, we're glad to have you. And it, it, mm-hmm. it went good. Um, we had uh, people that said, well, here, pour on in my yard. And another one said, here, we've got a nice field. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we had uh, communities that would have uh, kind of like a... Um, a barbecue or, or a block party and invited us in mm-hmm. as their guest. Oh, how and nice. We went, and we went through, uh, what was it, Minburn, Iowa, and the um, city fathers, the mayor and everybody, came out as we were approaching town and asked us if we would be interested in being guests of the county at the county fair. Wow. Wow. And, you know, they, and uh, when we approached town, I said they just resurfaced the roads and they were nice and pretty. 
and my horses are walking on on carbide uh, crystals that uh, will will bite into the car, into the asphalt, so they don't slip. And, mm-hmm. and I said, if you want me to take some of the other roads you have in research, oh no no, come right on through. And as we went through town, uh, one of them pointed out a chief of police was out there blocking traffic. We didn't stop for stoplights, nothing. They took us right straight through town. Oh, my goodness. And then uh, we was uh, out there, and we set up camp, and people visited the camp, you know, to come out for the county fair. Mm-hmm. And then it was, uh, you know, they had, uh, what was the name of the, the band that I told you, I showed you the paper on the other day? Oh, uh, shit, I can't even remember what that, what that was. Sawyer Brown, Sawyer Brown. The Sawyer Brown band was there. And uh, my kids got backstage passes for the Sawyer Brown show at the fair. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. And then two of the oldest uh, kids, the oldest girl and the oldest boy, they took jobs at the carnival, helping out in the carnival while we were there to make a little bit of cash for themselves. And believe it or not, the two youngest boys made more money than they did. And they never took a job. <laughs> Why? Well, what they did was they, they wandered around through the carnival, and mm-hmm. the people running the rides and all like that would uh, point it out to them that the rides that went up where the people turned over would lose change out of their pockets. And they let the little ah. boys pick it up. Oh, that, that's whenever, funny. That is really funny. They let the kid pick up the fallen change. I just think that that is absolutely amazing. Your kids were pretty good. I know I got a, a postcard when I uh, went visited with you and um that was they sold the postcards that that helped that was uh, that's one of the ways you covered your expenses I, uh, for this trip i want to talk to you a little bit more about what you needed to do for expenses in covering the trip but we're going to take a short break first uh after the break i'd like to come back and then uh find out well what did you do to cover expenses how much did did this trip cost what you know how did you handle that um but uh we'll get to that as soon as we get back from the break uh, you're listening to Susan Harmon Experience. I am here with Ben Dinwiddie, and uh, we are talking about his trip in a covered wagon across the United States, going from Wisconsin to New Mexico. Tried to get to California. It was California or bust. They busted in New Mexico. Stay tuned for more interesting facts about wagon trains. From Susan Harmon's private collection, these rare finds are now available for purchase until the end of June 2020. Quartz crystals that are large generators, rare Antarctic crystals with only three available, Russian phenakite, just one amazing specimen left, Czech moldavite of medium-sized high-quality pieces, and various spears. Check out the pictures at Susan Harmon's Facebook page or email susan at susanharmon.com or call 206. 206- 8535225 that's 2068535225 I'm Gary Mance I'm Suzanne Mitchell we're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music politics and pop culture and you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Susan Harmon Experience. I'm here with Ben 
Dinwiddie, and we are talking about his wagon train experience. He took his children on this long trip. I think that had to make a difference in your children's life. Just the fact that they were contributing to the income of the family by picking up change that fell out of the uh, out of the rides. That was great. What other things uh, did did you do to cover expenses? Well, before we left Wisconsin. We sold most of what uh, I could sell, sold some of my horses. I had, uh, I usually run 10 to 15 head all the time of uh, draft horses, and, and I sold both breeding stock, and I sold them. We sold ladders, anything we could sell, we sold all of it. We put the farm up for sale, but it never sold. And mm. uh, and so we, you know, we just tried to play it careful. Now, our wagon train consisted of three wagons, actually. Uh, the covered wow. wagon, and then our, our truck wagon, like uh, similar to what the, you see on TV when they have these uh, 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 cattle drives and they have a truck wagon with a little box in the back that's got all the all the food and everything in it and a little table mm-hmm. pulled down out of it. Mm-hmm. We had we had that and then we had a wagon to carry uh, supplies that we took with us. The water barrels were on the truck wagon, of course, and uh, we, we we knew we were going to have foals born. We had two foals born. We had goat. Uh, that were with us. Uh, we hauled our goats with us, and I had two mm. goats born, uh, several goats born, in fact, uh, along the way. And I could say it was it was a real wagon train as far as that goes. Oh my goodness, it it is, and and I know uh, you talked uh, to me about some of the amazingly interesting people that you that you met as you uh, traveled through the countryside. I mean, you you met some really interesting people. Well, one that was really amazing was a lady. Uh, her neighbors uh, took us there and, and wanted us to wanted her to let us stay on her place for the night. We traveling through, and we found out that her husband had just died the day before. Oh my and, goodness! Uh, I sat out with her with my wife, and we sat out with her in one of these little yard swings where we sit, people sit opposite each other. Mm-hmm. And she told us about her husband and, and uh, everything else, and we told her about her trip and what we were doing. And when we left there, she gave us a five dollars. And I said, "Man, you don't have to do this." She says, "No, this is my way of being part of what you're doing." And so she sent us a check every month for five dollars, so that she was part of our wagon train trip. Okay. And then we, like I say, we were, were guests. Uh, people would have a little get together and have a little uh, campfire and roast marshmallows and somebody would break out a guitar or a fiddle or something and uh, play and you know it, it was a real enjoyable time and we were coming down through country and we had a uh, newspaper reporter came to me and says I would like to ride with you today and the I reporter said, yeah he wanted to ride with us so okay. we're starting out in, in the town that he lived, and we headed toward the town where his paper was, where he worked. And he rides along, and he says, what do you do all day long traveling at this pace? And I says, well, we look at the country, and we see it. We're not, we're not passing through and, and just we're not jumping from one place to another. We're not, uh, you know, we, we actually see it. We're not in a hurry. As, what's that? I said, you're not in a hurry. No, you don't be in a hurry out with the wagons. You can walk about as fast as the wagons are going. Yeah. But anyway, we, we, we've gone along. And I said, look at that hillside. And uh, some, some fella had plowed this hill. But he had plowed up and down the hill. And I says, that's wrong. 
you need to plow across the hill to keep it from washing out so bad. And it also helps to level the hill out. And we went a little further, and, and I looked over and said, hey, look, there's a fisher down there on the bottom of the creek bottom, right outside the road. He says, yeah, I hadn't seen one of them before. And then about that time, my wife, she perked up, and she says, she sniffed her nose. She says, you smell that? Somebody baking biscuits and gravy and... Bacon. Uh, bacon. Yeah, that was... And she yeah. was, she, you know, she smelled it, and he sniffed it, and she said, yeah. He says, you know, I travel this road every day, six, seven days a week, and I've never seen any of the things that you've shown me. <laughs> we're seeing the country. We're really, we've slowed down. We're, we're seeing the country. And mm-hmm. we're enjoying it. And uh, it, it was like we got down south of Dodge City, and there was a... Uh, the road had steep, uh, steep uh, bar pits on each side. So we, we pulled up by this one driveway, went into off of this little highway we were on. And my wife was our uh, PR person for the, dealt with the people. She was real good with people. So she went up to the door and she knocked on the door and the woman opened it. And she says, what was the wagon train? And the woman jumped out and threw a bear hug on her and kind of picked her up off the ground a little bit. She said, oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you stopped to see us. And so, and she got, you know, got settled down, and the wife said, we'd like to park out here to enter your driveway for the night. And she says, sure, great, great, go, go. So, and then pretty soon she'd come out, and she says, uh, I want you to come for supper tonight. I want you to have supper. And we said, okay. So when her husband, he was a big farmer down there, and he had a, he was a very unique man. He uh, took me around and showed him his, showed me his shop and stuff like that, and he, he uh, furnished me some rod and stuff like this that I was running short on and my, my supplies to take care of my horses. And uh, he had a deal with the city of Dodge City where he they pumped his wells to the city with city water, fresh water, and then in mm-hmm. the reclaimed water, they pumped back to him to go on his fields. And wow. the people in the city got, got fresh water. And they were really nice people. So the next morning, we're, we're loaded up and headed down the road. And, and my wife says, you know what she asked me? And I says, what? She says, she asked me what I really missed most on traveling like this. And I told her a roast. Well, about that time, this car's honking like a dickens. She pulls in front of us and stops it right in the middle of the road, gets out and brings us a roast. <laughs> so you all had roast for dinner that night? No, no, ma'am. We pulled over and had roast right then. that's even better you know (laughs) oh my goodness i mean you met some wonderful people uh you know just living life uh, day to day and and meet them and and all and there was one little story you told me i mean there's some other interesting people i want to hear about but there's one that I know your daughter, you had the three boys and the one girl, uh, your daughter was helping the host wife uh, in the kitchen, making a, you know, helping her, and, and, and the son came in, and uh, what what he thought his mom was trying to fix him up with this girl? Right. Um, he worked as a mechanic for John Deere tractor people. This was an okay. island. And he, uh, he, you know, he, Joel was a real, real nice fella. And he was, oh, he was upset. Oh, he was upset. His mama was trying to line him up with some girl. And after he realized what it was, and he got, he didn't notice it when he came in because we parked over across the road. And mm-hmm. he found out that, you know, this wasn't a setup. 
he had, he started every night after that. He came to camp. And then mm-hmm. he got too far away for him to come every night. He'd come on the weekends, and then he took two weeks and rode with us for two weeks. <laughs> and then and he ended up, uh, and the last time he came to stay with us, we were crossing uh, White Sands area. And he oh, came and yeah. uh, went with us. He had his car, so he had to move his car up from time to time. And uh, and then when he got into New Mexico and we got up to our property, and uh, a friend of mine was a, a pastor up there, and he, he married him. They got married on the wagon train trip, your daughter and her husband. Right. So that's pretty exciting. And they're still married? No, I'm afraid they're not. Oh, well, they were young, right? (laughs) They they were young. uh, And I liked Joel. He was a a real good man. He was good for my Mm -hmm. daughter. But Mm -hmm. uh, they had a change of, of... what they wanted, and, and they split. Well, that uh, happens. Very, that very, happens too. But it is a very romantic story, you know, that they that they're traveling down the road in a wagon train, and they're doing all of this, and then they meet each other, and he goes along on the trip, and they get married on the trip. That's romantic. I don't care if it didn't last. It's great. I mean, you know, most marriages end in divorce anyway. So. Well, you know, it, it's like we were going down the road one day. It was, we, we didn't get on the big major highways. We kind of took okay. the uh, lesser roads to be better for the horses. And mm-hmm. we'd come along, and we are looking for a place to stop for the night. And they had ditches on each side of the road, so it wouldn't mm-hmm. be an easy place for us to pull off. And so we were just passing a field. Well, We'd had trouble with our third wagon, which was, was an old hay rack. And uh, the, the farmers and the people in the audience that know about hay racks, they don't track good. They, they kind of wander side to side, back and forth behind the tractor. Well, we had them hooked, had that wagon, had a top built on it, you know, for, for cover and protection for our supplies. Mm-hmm. And the wagon was, was whipping the horses pretty bad. We had them hooked to a, a, tri- a forecart, which is just a, a, we used it to move stuff around on the farm like a tractor. Mm-hmm. And so I took and hooked that wagon to the back of my big covered wagon, which is quite a bit heavier. And I started driving a four up, which is four horses, two, two, two teams hooked together up front, pulling double wagons. And I put in about 25, about 2,000 miles of uh, driving a four up, pulling double wagons. And we was rigged up this way with a truck wagon behind me. And so we, we stopped and the wife went over and was going to go up to these people that we hoped would own the, this uh, field right there beside us. And mm-hmm. there was a, a gate to go through and get in there. And the woman came out, and she was a paramedic, and her daughter was with her. And uh, my wife says, we'd like to, if, it, if this is your property, she said, yeah. And she said, we'd like to be able to you know, open the gate and pull in there for the night. And she reached down. She says, no way. She jerked her gate open and said, come right on in here. You're too, you're too far forward to, to get in there. You come in here. Her yard was manicured. Beautiful. Oh beautiful my. yard. Oh, my goodness. And now I've got, at, at this time, we had 10 horses with us. Oh, my goodness. And besides the goats that we had to tether out, and we, we pulled in there. And I thought, boy, when her husband comes home and sees this, he's going to really be unhappy. <laughs> the was a truck driver. He showed up. He was just tickled pink. He was a uh, he had cut a record, uh, a country western record, and, and he gave us a copy of that one. And he took me down the road 
were what would be like four more days of travel and arranged for me to stay. And the first place to proceed is the place where we found Doc Dugan to get our horses taken care of. Oh, and then the, wow. Uh, the, and the fourth day down the road was a uh, home for um, older people, let's put it that way, and handicapped people. Okay. Right. It was a three-story building, and, and these people were very, very unique. We were the guests for the night. First thing they did is they took all of our laundry, all of our bedding, and washed it. Wow. Older people and, 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 and people that were had uh, social problems, whatever, you know. And then right. they spent the whole afternoon while we were there taking us around and showing us all their little projects. There was one, pe- one uh, a couple, two or three of them that went together, and they were uh, raising chickens. And they would mm-hmm. look at the chickens and sell them locally. Others had eggs. Others had uh, animals of one sort or another. Another one was uh, collecting cans. These people were doing things. The people that were staying there, living there, were also cooking the meals, serving the tables, uh, everything. There was no, nobody paid salary other than the uh, management. And the people, it, it was absolutely, it was a fabulous night I spent, we spent with those people. And uh, I was almost sorry to leave because they, they, were, they were really wonderful. It sounds like the majority of the people you met were really nice. Uh, you, you, did you have any what you would consider negative uh, uh, encounters? And, and th- but they were there any like that, but not lasting long? I mean, I, from what you're saying, I, I'm hearing really positive things. We had we had one lady, and she had a crew of people working on her place, and we. Uh, approached her, my wife approached her, and we wanted a, a place, you know, the permission to park, you know, not mm-hmm. in the yard or anything like that, to park on the side of the road. And, and then she had some water where we could get water for our horses. And she just, she was getting ready for a wedding, and she just said, no, 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 no. Well, one of the fellows that was working there, he says, you go on down the road there just about half a mile, and on the other side of the road there's a park, and they've got water. And you can see they're in a little park, and, and uh, so we went on down the road. But that was the only one that we had. Yeah, and, uh, and that would be understandable if she was going to have a wedding, you know, there. Right. You know. Right. So that's not and bad that, at all. I mean, that's no, that's, that, that's that was, not that bad. Was, that, was the, that was the only one that, that we had, the only time that we had like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I say, we was over in uh, New Mexico, and... Uh, we had rubber tire, rubber car tire tires on the wagons because the roofs were much better on the road. Mm-hmm. And blew a tire on her truck wagon. A fella came by, and the truck wagon stopped to get water and was going to catch up with us. And a fella came by, a rancher in the area. He helped my wife and daughter, who were on the wagon at the time, take the tire off, took it to his place, put another tire on it, brought it back, and put it on. Wow. I mean, that's, that, that is, you know, I, it's been my experience uh, that people that live out in the country help one another, uh, you know, the way we all should do, you know, at all times when, when somebody, if a stranger knocks at your door, you open the door, you feed them. Uh, that's, that's just the way that, uh, that I learned that you behave with one another, you know. 
you don't let anyone go hungry. That's actually Christianity. It says, you know, that feed the stranger, clothe the naked, shelter those without shelter. You know, those things are important for us to do. And you met really interesting people, just average average people. You met a congressman, too, I think, didn't you? Yes. Uh, remember the show on TV called Love Boat? Yes, yes, and, I remember uh, that. Okay, the fellow on there that played golfer. Yeah, he was yeah. The, he he's a congressman over there, and he came into our camp and took a wagon ride with us. Oh my goodness! So he was nice. Yeah. So he was a a movie star and a congressman. Right. And All wrapped up in we, one. And then we enjoyed every time we came to that had we'd find out if they had any uh, schools for handicapped kids especially or, or anything like that and we would stop and let the kids come out and uh, look at the horses and I would uh, unharness the uh, my, my training horse who was really really good and let them sit on him and get their pictures taken and it meant a lot to the kids and, oh yeah uh, oh you know, gosh they, they get, I re- yeah get, I remember when I was a little kid getting picture taken on a donkey you know and all that was really yeah I loved it yeah and then we had, uh, you know, uh, one one unique thing that happened was I stopped in one one town that had a, a, a feed mill, and I had a, a formula for my grain that I fed my horses that I'd uh, worked up over the years, and I asked them to make it. Well, they made it, and what they gave me wasn't my formula. It wasn't good at all. And so, you know, we've gone down the road, and, and the next night we stopped at uh, a town, and one of the guests came by, and he asked, how you doing? He says, how's your feed? I said, oh, I just got some feed, but it's not right. He says, what's the matter with it? Where'd you get it? And I explained it to him. He says, I'll take care of that. They came out. They had men come out the next morning before. We were going to spend a couple of days there. And they loaded up all the grain that this, these people had sold us, took it back to their feed mill, and made me a whole new batch and gave it to me. <laughs> Well, that's one of the things about the greasy wheel, right? The greasy wheel got got uh, uh, grilled there, got, uh, well, you know, greasy wheel, uh, complain. And that's a good thing that you did because you told the truth. Well, it was, how's everything? Well, it's not so great. But, well, now it, can, now it is. So that's good. And I know you were the guest of a lot of cities. It wasn't just that one. It was other places that really welcomed you and had you as a guest. Well, there was Oak, Nebraska. Every year, Oak, Nebraska has what they call Oregon Trail Days, where mm-hmm. the people come out from all their neighbors all the, for several miles, like 60, 80 miles around. They'll come in, bring their horses in and their, uh, their stuff and costumes, and they'll make up. They look, some of them look make up like Indians. Others make like uh, settlers. And they have mm-hmm. been places where they're, they're, Oak, Nebraska is built right on the Oregon Trail. Mm-hmm. And they take cars in a caravan out around for uh, people to see the Indians attacking a settler or Indians attacking a covered wagon or, you know, breaking down and working on their wagon. And they, they asked us to stay. And we spent 10 days with them while they was having this celebration. And they brought out a number seven Cormac Deering mower, horse-drawn mower, that uh, – I got it running, and then they would let me know when the caravan was going to come by, and they'd come by, and I'd have a team hooked up, and I would be mowing, mowing grass out in the field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is something. This is stuff that people just didn't get to see. 
And, no, people um, didn't get to see that that stuff. It's it's very interesting. You know, I'm one of the questions that I had that I thought was something. Did for instance, when you set up camp at night and you had to break down and you do all this, what what uh, did particular one child have a particular chore or did you rotate chores? How did you handle that? Well, there, it was kind of more or less uh, had had the stuff to do, but there was something that changed from day to day, time to time, like. Uh, horse need a little extra care or whatever and uh i, I guess you might say i kind of acted like wagon boss and, and directed everything and, right uh, it, 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 it and the kids were good really really good for the most part and we had guests come and and people come visiting and and everything and uh i had one one time the kids were starting to complain well pop you're always they call all my kids call me pop said, pop you're, you're you're always bossing you're always bossing I said, okay. So this one time we pulled in, and, and right across the street from where we were was a farm store. So I stepped down off the wagon, and I said, you guys set camp. And I walked over to the farm store. And I, was <laughs> for, I was gone for several hours, and when I came back, about time the meal ought to be ready. Camp was set. But they said, don't do that again. We need somebody <laughs> to get in order. Somebody's got to you know, have a, an eye or, or whatever to take care of things. So... We, we, you know, it, it, it worked real good. Like I said, the kids knew how to harness and knew how to drive and, and everything. Um, we we did have trouble with uh, our stud horse. He got sick. And uh, one guy came looking, said, oh, he's got elzenitis. I said, what? He said, elzenitis, his feet were swollen. Well, people that know horses know that when horses get sick, it settles in their feet. And mm-hmm. so we, uh, at Elk, when we was at Oak, Nebraska, one of the people there, Said, well, let me take the horse up to uh, the university uh, veterinary uh, college they had close mm-hmm. by. Oh, so I say 70, 80 miles from West, where we were at. And they loaded right. the a horse trailer and they took him up there. And he had a split molar tooth in his mouth and the upper jaw. That they had to uh, drill a hole in through his cheek and reach into a punch and drive it out. And he oh, had. A and then he was fine. Well, Ben, we're almost out of time. Uh, is there any one last quick thing that you'd like our audience to know about this trip? Well, I was asked to make a similar trip one time by Fox uh, Movie People. Uh-huh. And but I had to decline. They wanted me to take a trip from a Wisconsin place out to Oregon as a uh-huh. promotion for a, a, a valley out there they were trying to promote. And I said... I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't want to do that. I have gone on other, uh, other trips, well, other uh, wagon trains, as an advisor mm-hmm. to keep an eye on the stock. Well, you have to say no sometimes, and sometimes you say yes. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. And whether you're traveling, you know, through life, or whether you're traveling on a wagon train, or whether you're in your car, there's one thing, folks. Remember to continue to. Dance, dance, dance.